Hello, you're tuned to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. We're pleased to have you join us. What? What, what, what kind of what kind of God would treat people who have been vile toward Him with forgiveness? What? This is outstandingly confusing. What kind of God would forgive people who don't deserve it? The kind of God who is love. There's a word that doesn't come up often in general conversation, and yet it should be one we are far more familiar with. How comfortable are you with the idea of forgiveness? It doesn't always come easily, does it? And we might ask ourselves, why should we, or even how can we forgive? Tonight, Dr. Corbett continues in his short series exploring the very real issue of forgiveness. There's much we can learn and much to challenge our thinking. So let's join Dr. Corbett now. And um, I'm just, I just want you to know that that's where we're at as a, as a church. I think it's wonderful. I think so far this year, strangely enough, through COVID, We've probably baptised more people this year so far than we have in any other year, and the year's not over yet. I think that's exciting. So there's lots of reason for hope. There's lots of reasons that we, that we can hope that when we do the Tasmania Celebration event in May next year, 2022, we're hiring the Silverdome to do it. We can fill that to its capacity, and we can see hundreds of people come to know Christ. And I, I'm sharing this with you because sometimes, I don't know if you think, if I hear one more news report about COVID and how bad it is everywhere else in the world, I'm just going to turn the TV off again. The here and the now is one thing, but we shouldn't get caught up in it. We need to see Christ on the throne, the bigger picture. People are coming to Christ in our city every week now. And even in our church, we're seeing that. And I just think, not necessarily every week, but we're seeing in our city. And I just think that's wonderful. God is doing something. One of the things that I'm doing right now is taking you through a four-part series on forgiveness. This, I have seen forgiveness preached and taught in a way that actually brings guilt and it puts people under pressure because uh, it's as if if you haven't done this what kind of Christian are you I'm not doing that and and if you were here last week you would have heard me make it really clear that's not where my heart's at at all in fact this is what I want to do that as we see people come in and God brings them in and God connects you with people through the week and I read the, the story out of Will Graham's book, Redeemed, uh, to Ruby last night. It was the story of a lady by the name of Denise, a young lady, a young tourist by the name of Denise, who was in Broken Hill just after Will Graham had preached in Broken Hill. And people had come to Christ in Broken Hill. And Will Graham and a few of his team and a few of the organisers were in a coffee shop making a, a, a bit of a raucous because they were just so thrilled with what God had done and she walked in and she thought there might have been a party going on or something and and the the wife of the coordinator for the Broken Hill combined churches meeting uh, saw her and went up to her and said "Uh, you want to you want to sit down can I buy your coffee and bought her a coffee and and she had a cardboard sign in Broken Hill cardboard sign said Adelaide 
and she had it under her arm and she was going to see what was going on in here and then go out and hitchhike from Broken Hill to Adelaide, a single girl in her early 20s. How many fathers would be thrilled to hear that that's what their daughter was doing? And so this lady, her name was Margaret. Margaret said to her, I suppose you're wondering what's going on. And she told Denise, you know, we're, we're, I'm the pastor's wife and my husband was the coordinator for this combined churches thing. And that's Will over there and Will spoke and he, gee, he spoke well and people, their lives were changed after he spoke. And, and then Margaret asked this question. She said, can I tell you about Jesus? And the moment she said Jesus, a tear welled up in Denise's eye and she said, yes. And so Margaret did. And then Margaret asked another question when she told Denise about Jesus. And the other question was, would you like to receive Jesus as your saviour? And Denise said, now with tears streaming down her face, she said, yes. And while this was going on, one of the organising committee who are over there drinking coffee with the, the, the cele people celebrating, he'd heard, and because Margaret had asked her, what are you doing? I'm about to hitchhike to Adelaide. He had slipped out and he'd gone and bought an airplane ticket for this girl to catch a plane from Broken Hill to Adelaide. Now, how many fathers would be thrilled to hear that their early 20-year-old something or other daughter had had someone buy an airplane ticket so she didn't have to hitchhike from Broken Hill. I'd be one of those uh, as well. And so when Margaret led Denise, this young lady Denise, to the Lord, someone came up to her and said, you, uh, don't hitchhike. Here's a ticket. He just gave her the air ticket. Catch the plane to Adelaide. And in Will Graham's book, Redeemed, he's got a picture with him and Denise and she's holding the sign Adelaide and he tells this story one life was changed and I think over the next few months and then as we combine with all the churches of Launceston to do this so it's not just an us thing it's a it's a combined effort that we are going to see lots of stories like that of people who intersect with you Margaret said, I didn't know how to lead anyone to Christ, but I knew two questions. <laughs> Can I tell you about Jesus? And would you like to receive Jesus as your saviour? And she said, the rest of it was kind of fuzzy for me, but I knew those two questions. So I asked them, and Denise gave her life to Christ. And I'm hoping that as we intersect with people who need Christ, and they come in on a Sunday, or they come into your workplace on a Monday, or wherever you intersect with them, and we look at people sometimes and think, man, they are far away from God. <laughs> oh boy, God's going to have to work hard to save them. That I think we're going to be surprised at just who God can save. And as he does, one of the things that we need to have settled in our lives is this issue that I'm dealing with now over these next few weeks. The issue of forgiveness. Last week, I spoke about why forgiveness is important. It's important because it's grounded in our relationship with God. You can't have a relationship with God unless 
you've accepted his forgiveness. And when you have, Jesus told the story of the, of the king, that master, no, he wasn't, the master who had someone to whom he had lent an extraordinary amount of money. Extraordinary. In today's calculations, it, was, it would be measured in the billions of dollars. And I mentioned that it would be in the territory of a national debt that this man couldn't repay. And the master said, throw him into prison and enslave his wife and children until he pays the debt. And the man pleaded for forgiveness from his master. You know the story. And we see in Matthew chapter 18 that the master took pity on that debtor and forgave him the debt. And the moment he had his debt forgiven, he went out and found someone who owed him a few hundred dollars and threw him in prison until he paid the last cent. And the master found out about it and said, you did not understand what I've done for you, did you? That you would treat someone like this. And the implication is this, that when you have experienced the forgiveness of God in your own heart and soul, it affects how you treat other people. And I want us to have this absolutely rock solid in our hearts and souls that we have been forgiven by God. We've been forgiven by God. To get that, I'm going to, in a moment, I'm going to link it with something that most of you do not understand, the love of God. And I'm saying that quite confidently. And then at the end of this, I'm going to, I'm going to give you four steps for how you forgive someone who's hurt you. And I hope what you hear is something that causes you to respond, ah, I could do that. And I hope that's your response. So join with me now in prayer because I'm going to need God's help to be able to do it. Father, as we look into your word and we see just how central to the gospel forgiveness is, accepting your forgiveness and being able to offer it to others and being able to seek it from others. I pray, Lord, that you help me to speak your words, your way with your heart. And I pray, oh God, that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear and a heart to respond. And I pray, Lord, that this would be a moment, a moment where we can look back on and go, that was when it went click for me that day. And I pray for this, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would speak louder than me today. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is the second part. We've looked at the foundation I've just mentioned where God's forgiven us. This is now how we extend forgiveness to others. And I, I'm gonna, I don't normally do how-to sermons, but this one I'm just going to be, be as plain and as upfront with you as I can. How? to forgive to do that everything i try to do is build on a foundation of theology that is if we can understand god we can understand how to do a lot of things that we think we can't do so let me see if i can make myself clear by by reminding you of this profound moment that happened on the cross so this is grounded in luke chapter 23 and verses 32 to 33, and it says, Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, Golgotha, there they crucified him. 
and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, while all this was going on, verse 34, Father, forgive them. Can you imagine that? He's just been spat at. He's had a so-called crown of thorns impressed into his skull. He's been kicked, whipped, beaten, punched by what some scholars believe was a competition among centurions. 100 soldiers took their best shot. Whoever could knock out the prisoner, some scholars suggest, got all the prisoner's possessions. So Jesus, his face was grossly distorted. And those people who were mocking him are now nailing the nine-inch nails through his wrists and through his ankles. And he says this, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Wow. And they cast lots to divide his garments. They had to cast lots because no one won the competition. Hmm. What does this do to us when we realise this is the Jesus whom we worship, whom we serve, whom we follow, whom we have pledged allegiance, the one whom we love, serve, worship, was able to forgive the undeserving. And that was kind of the point of the parable he told in Matthew 18 when Peter asked, how many times do I forgive someone when they've sinned against me? Seven times, Peter said, and here in that story, Jesus says, not seven times, 77 times. In other words, don't count, keep doing it. Forgiveness. What what, what kind of person forgives when, when so much abuse has been heaped at them? Who is this? This is the one we worship. This is the hallmark of Christianity. Our founder was a forgiving saviour. The Old Testament prophets, Peter tells us, looked toward the new covenant bewildered. They looked at the new covenant. They saw the the glories of the Messiah, but they also saw something that puzzled them. They saw the sufferings of the Messiah and the fact that he would not only forgive, but that he would extend forgiveness to people. The Old Testament prophets foretold that forgiveness would be one of the hallmarks of the new covenant. And we as Christians go, yeah, without realising that is not the hallmark of other world religions. In fact, you only have to watch the six o'clock news tonight to realise what's happening in Afghanistan is being done by people who are following the teachings of Muhammad. And doing what the Quran says. There's not forgiveness to be found there. This makes Christianity rather unique. Jeremiah the prophet said this at a time when of course Israel was into the depths of depravity and the depths of apostasy. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbour. He was prophesying, looking to the future about the new covenant and each his brother saying know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least as Caleb was saying over communion this morning that we can come close to Christ like we can come close to a fire and warm our hands not just read about a fire in a book we can actually experience 
the heat of the fire. Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. What? What, 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 kind, of, what kind of God would treat people who have been vile toward him with forgiveness? What? This is outstandingly confusing. And yet it was lived out, it was exemplified, it was modelled, it was demonstrated clearly by Christ. And that episode on the cross is, is a powerful challenge to all who will follow Christ. What kind of God? What kind of God would forgive people who don't deserve it? The kind of God who is love. You know, the Bible doesn't say in the New Testament, in John, in 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, where he declares this in 1 John chapter 3 and 1 John chapter 4, he states, God is love. He doesn't actually state God is loving. He says, God is love. If he had said God is loving, it may have sounded like God was having a flush of sentimentality. It may have sounded like God was having a flush of, oh, that makes me happy. But it's not a whim it's not a flush of emotion it's the core of his being he is love <laughs> he is love and we read in the new testament that whenever anyone experienced the love of god it was scary because we've never experienced it from another human being and yet when they encountered jesus people would drop to their knees when Jesus said to the scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you brood of vipers, was he being loving? Yes, because he could not be anything other because he is love. I'm not saying that what he did was unloving, but because he's God, we make it pretend it's loving no he was doing it with love hence we read in Acts chapter 15 that there were many scribes and Pharisees who had followed Christ <laughs> the love that must have been in the tone of his voice the love that must have been in the look of his eye when he spoke to them you brood of vipers you are whitewashed walls how it would have set them back on their heels like we are someone's spoken the truth and Jesus Christ was that one who embodied love and truth. And I don't know how to do that very well, but I'm trying. God's love is unconditional. You know what that means? God loves you. And when he began to love you, he didn't do it because you were attractive. Oh, they're attractive. I'll love them. No, we were unattractive. He didn't do it because the way we respond to someone with love is when they, as uh, Dr. Gary Chapman said, there was it five love languages and they use one of the five. Oh, I need all of them. Um, it's not because someone did something for you. It's that, that, that we love people. That wasn't what God did. He wasn't responding because we did anything for him. He doesn't need you to do anything for him. I've heard people say who don't get it, and I, this is how I know most people do not get the unconditional love of God. I've heard people say Jesus Christ came and died on the cross so that God could have fellowship with us, as if they're saying, because God is really lonely. 
I mean, it's lonely in heaven. He needs the fellowship. No, he doesn't. He doesn't need any one of us. If you're into big theological words, here's the term. It's called the aseity, A-S-A-E-T-Y, the aseity of God. The aseity of God means this. He needs nothing. He is completely sufficient in himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He enjoys love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He has all his needs met. He doesn't need you. That might cause you in a world where we we do love as a transaction. You do something for me, I'll do something for you. You love me, I'll love you back. That's how we transact love. God doesn't do it that way. You don't need to do anything to experience the love of God. He does love you before you have done anything for him, before you have become attractive in any way to him. He loves you. He loves you. The worst sinner in our city, God loves. He is kind to them. This is bewildering, but it's true. For God, we sang it this morning, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son as a demonstration of that love who lived it out. Man, oh man, man. The unconditional love of God. See, you've got to get this. You have done nothing to earn God's love. You can do nothing to earn God's love. You can do nothing that causes God to continue to love you as if you have to behave in order for him to love you. He loves you no matter what you do. Isn't that scary? You've got someone who will never abandon you. Because his love is unconditional towards you. You've got to get that. Do you think, have I emphasized this enough? Do you get this? But now I want you to see something about the love of God. And I want you to see how it's connected with the forgiveness of God. This is Mark chapter 2 verses 1 to 2. We're going to follow this story down. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, that's Jesus, it was reported that he, Jesus, was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. Man, wouldn't you love to have heard that? And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by Four men, so he couldn't use his legs. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And Jesus saw their faith. He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Wouldn't you love to have Jesus look you in the eye and tell you that? Your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And they're right. (laughs) They're right. Only the one offended can do the forgiving. And immediately Jesus, 
perceiving in his spirit that they questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Now that would be scary because they didn't say it. They were just thinking it. Hmm. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But now that you may know that the Son of Man which is a term of divinity taken from the book of Daniel, has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Hmm. Forgiveness, being, having your sins forgiven, is a tenet of the Christian faith. Tenet means core belief, non-negotiable, foundational. Believe this as a part of the set of beliefs that you believe before any other peripheral issue. It's a tenet. Every Christian denomination holds to the forgiveness of sins through the work of Christ. Everyone. Catholic, Protestant, Baptist, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, Calithumpians, they all believe it that there are no Calithumpians. I was just sort of doing a see if you're awake. Then so so forgiveness is core to the Christian message. This is Jesus on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection. Then he opened their minds to understand. This is the the two people he was walking with. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Verses 47 and 48. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem you are witnesses of these things he tells them he's reminding them of the prophets he's reminding them of what the prophets had foretold about the new covenant that it would be a new covenant where our sins would be forgiven our sins would be forgiven and you're witnesses of how I did it now this is what we need to understand God's love is unconditional. The love of a parent for a child is unconditional. I would, in the strongest possible language, encourage every parent here never to utter these words. You are no longer my son. You are no longer my daughter. Don't don't ever do that. Because you actually represent the fatherhood of God to your child and the connection that a parent has with a child is one that represents God's unconditional love to your children so even when your children do things that are disappointing we as parents love our children don't we we love our children even when their actions cause us embarrassment and shame we love our children because that's how God treats us 
But here's what I think we need to understand. While God's love is unconditional, his forgiveness is not. God's forgiveness is not unconditional. Now, the reason this is important to understand is because in a moment, I'm going to show you a couple of scriptures that say we should forgive those who have hurt us as God has forgiven us. So track with me. This is where we're going. To give you the importance of what Jesus is saying here, I remind you of the the story he told of the master who forgave his servant. And then the servant went out and demanded that his debtor paid him a few hundred dollars, even though he'd been forgiven billions. This is how Jesus put it in Matthew chapter 18, verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So the need for us to forgive is really important because it becomes conditional on, Jesus said, God forgiving us. Hmm. Wow. 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 So we really need to get this. Is forgiveness unconditional? We read in Luke chapter 12. That's all we have time for tonight. If you'd like to obtain a CD copy or premium download of tonight's discussion, please pop over to our website, findingtruthmatters.org, and select Forgiveness Part 2 from our online store. As we've heard tonight, the Old Testament prophets foretold that forgiveness would be one of the hallmarks of the new covenant. But what kind of God would offer to forgive those who have been so vile to him? An unconditionally loving God. More from Dr. Corbett next week with a further look at forgiveness. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.